0: This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots. And Tacova's is your first stop for the best in Western style. And by the way, you don't have to be into the Western look to grab a good looking pair of boots. I recently got a pair of ostrich skin round tip boots and I'm warm with my suit. These boots are so versatile that I can throw them on with a full head to toe suit. And Anthony Smith came right up to me and he's asking me where I got them. I told them the only place to get them took and they have a seasonal limited edition offering It's right now this spring and summer including men's and women's boots apparel hats accessory and more My wife just surprised me with the ostrich wallet and a belt for my birthday in case you've seen me many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized and with regular live music and events there's no in-store experience quite like it if you can't make it into the store just visit tecovas.com that's tecoba scom they offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and they ship right to your door Go to dacovus.com and find your favorite pair of boots today. Guys, I'm really into things that add more convenience to my life. It's even better when it also comes with safety in a high quality package. I'm talking about my Eufy Video Lock. I'm still loving this thing. I love this thing so much that I'd like to invest in the company. I am so impressed with this product that I'm willing to back it. And if anyone out there knows how I can do it, please reach out. You got to check it out for yourself. I'll probably do a quick social post, but for now, just search UV Video Lock. Do it online. It's a 3-in-1 Smart Lock 2K camera with an audio and doorbell. It's easy to install. It has fingerprint recognition. So I don't even have to remember a code. I can control it all in an app, which again, the convenience is such a big plus for me. This Eufy Lock is fantastic, and I highly recommend it. Search UFI Video Lock online. That's Eufy, E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com backslash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your front door. What's happening, guys? Happy Wednesday! And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome presented to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of UFC. Download the DraftKings app today. Use the promo code CHAIL to get in on all the action. Coming up on today's show, Tony Ferguson versus Michael Chandler is official. Patty the Batty made a scene yesterday, and Dustin Poirier, well, what should the UFC do with him? All of that later, but first, let's begin with the weekend that was in MMA. I was in Miami over the weekend, Eagle FC. Let me give you a rundown on a few of your favorite characters. But first off, I run into Kamar Usman, and I'm sitting visiting with Usman, and last time I saw Kamar was roughly two weeks ago over the internet, and he had his hand all wrapped up. you guys remember that? Kamar Usman goes into a surprise surgery we didn't even know was coming. So now fast forward two to three weeks, I see him and I say, Kamara, I notice that your hand isn't still wrapped up. How is that? Look, it, it, it's almost 100%. He's in the gym. And he's just about to get back to sparring. He's planning on taking on Leon, just looking for a date. Boom. Move on to Henry. Run into Sahudo. Henry, last time I saw you, I told the world that you were back in the USADA pool. I'm told that you aren't in the USADA pool. So who's, did I get it right or was it not? Henry said, look, I'm actually not in it. I said, Henry, how serious is this comeback? And I've asked him this three or four times now for you guys that follow the channel and you think, "Channel, you're a broken record. I realize that, but every time I see Henry, I say the same thing to him. How serious is this comeback? I don't want to be one of the suckers. I want to get behind you if this movement is real. He's 100% serious. And I can just tell by looking at him. I mean, just the kind of shape that Henry's in. Nobody does MMA as a hobby, in all fairness. When you're in an MMA gym, you're getting ready for something. And sometimes you're getting ready to get ready. Sometimes you've got to go through a little baby training camp just to go into real training camp. But everybody has the same goal in mind, which is competition. I said, but Henry, are we doing it at 145 pounds? He said, yeah. He said, I think Max Holloway's the guy that will then get me to Volkanovsky. And I had read that last week. Okay. But then over the course of the weekend, Henry gets in a back and forth with Conor McGregor. I'm sitting in a car with Henry as Henry is tweeting to Conor McGregor, I say, Henry is this serious. He said, chill, I weigh 174 pounds, I'll go fight Conor McGregor. Okay. So Henry's at least very open to the idea. Guys, don't brush any of this away. If you love Henry versus Conor, you love Henry versus Volkanovski or Max, or if you're against them. That isn't the point of this. The point is Henry's very serious and he's looking for an opponent. Boom. Ran into Joanna Violence, which I didn't know we were calling her Joanna Violence. I thought it was Joanna Champion, but somebody else told me Joanna Violence for those that can't say yet or Jacek. I can only tell you uh, on a scale of one to 10, she looked like a 10. She looked fit. She looked happy. I've read different reports and I ain't going to speak to her. So this is at a distance. Joanna's at the event. She's cheering on a lot of ATT teammates were there. I read about three months ago that the one thing holding Joanna up is just the contract. And she runs into the same problem that this is a piece of the psychology that everybody that ever had a championship clause runs into, which is, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to prepare the same. Everything I do is going to be the same, but my participation is now different. And that's hard to get around. When you're a champion and you're defending, there is a gift Because nobody is owed, it's bestowed upon you. It is purely out of generosity. And when you're no longer the champion, you don't have that same gift and it's tough. It's just tough mentally on athletes. And I read from Joanna that that was what her holdup is. I can only report to you guys, she looks like the epitome of health. She looks like she is in fantastic shape. So we might get something more on Joanna violence, I guess we're calling her now. Boom, now let's move on. Main event, we had Diego Sanchez taking on Kevin Lee. Interesting match, because they're fighting for two very different things. Diego Sanchez is fighting for his career. He's fighting for his ability to continue to be given fights. He's got to show at a very primal level that he can follow rule number one, the basic rule of protect yourself at all times. That becomes a question. Now, to get something different, you have to do something different. But Diego did. Diego has new mentors. He has new coaches, new teammates, new philosophies. Is that going to translate? Well, that's what the fight was about. The answer, it absolutely did. Diego looked great and he got tested everywhere. Got tested on his feet. Can still give a punch, can still take a punch. Got taken down. Can protect himself on the ground. Can deal with a storm and Kevin Lee brought him one. Diego did a great job passing his own test. Now, Kevin Lee. Kevin Lee got confronted with an adversity that he never could have envisioned, because 11 seconds into the fight, Kevin Lee is now a one-legged man in an ass-whipping contest. Did you guys see the match? If you didn't see the match, the fight starts, Diego goes backwards. Kevin Lee's walking him down, going, where are you going? You're going backwards. Diego starts running at him. He gets like three or four steps and just boots him. He just comes running at him and boots him like a soccer ball, kicks him right in the calf. Kevin Lee, self-diagnosed, let's hope that he's wrong, thought he tore his ACL. Well, Kevin Lee would know about a torn ACL because he just came off surgery to his ACL. So very bad, very bad for Kevin. Keep him in your thoughts. That's why I say, let's hope that he's wrong. But the whole fight was Kevin on one leg and he dealt with it. He made no faces. He made no winces. He didn't complain in the corner. He did not use it as an excuse. He's not going to tell us. I'm saying it more of an excuse for him, but he won all three rounds. He was dominant. He protected himself and he found a way. So, there's a lot of things that happened in that event, but Kevin was out there to get his hand raised, and Diego was out there to save his career. Both guys succeeded. So, that was my weekend at Eagle FC, and I'll actually have more on Henry Cejudo and Conor McGregor later in the show, but first, let's break down the UFC fighter that stuck out most to me this weekend. So Alex Pierre fought over the weekend, by the way, and he had a very interesting call-out. Now, you guys will know Pierre. He's a former kickboxer, competed with and defeated Israel Adesanya in kickboxing. He's come over to MMA. He's unblemished. He's he's approaching that 5-0, but he also has the light heavyweight champion of the world, Glover Teixeira, in his corner. And Glover, who's been nothing if not open with the audience from Jump Street is saying and vouching for the guy, saying, man, this guy's the real deal. You know about his kickboxing and stand up abilities. I know his ground because I see him at practice every day. This guy can fight. Okay. But this is the story. This is the story nonetheless. And Pierre absolutely has the attention of Adesanya, which is paramount at 185 pounds. You, you can't say Pierre's name in front of Adesanya and not make Audasanya respond in some kind of a fashion. So here's what Pierre does he wins the fight and he calls out Jared Cannoneer. He called out Jared Cannoneer. Why? What is that about? So I start breaking it down and I start realizing whether this comes to fruition or not, the strategy most likely went something like this. Jared Cannonier is now the number one contender. Jared Cannonier is supposed to fight Israel Adesanya. Everybody has agreed to this, but nobody has made that official. No about agreements are signed. No venue is booked. No date has been set. Pierre is very right to believe that there is a resistance somewhere from making the fight with Jared and Adesanya. I've seen that as well. I understand that at certain points in the sport, we must turn to the rankings. We must show an integrity to the rankings. The rest of the time, we have a little bit of wiggle room. But if Pierre can get a response from Cannoneer and get Canonier to take a risk and take this fight first, it's very interesting. I do not believe that Pierre is good enough to beat Jared Cannoneer, but that's between them. That's never, who cares what I think? If he's willing to walk out there and try, and he knows that he just found the number one contender, if he can somehow sucker the number one contender into a fight, thus putting up the number one contendership, it's very interesting. I'll just leave it at that. I don't know that I've ever seen anything quite like this. I don't know that anybody ever calls out Jared Cannonier. Now, Jared Cannonier is fantastic. I would never take away from Jared. And I hope my words don't sound rude towards him. He's great. He's the right choice. He's done everything right. So what? It's winner take all. This is a dirty, filthy game. You will take whatever somebody has anytime you can take it. But those are the rules. They're going to try to take it from you too. So to notice that he's in a division who's number one contender, but champion is in a fight that hasn't been signed yet. In fact, the number one contender is sitting there available. Why not go in and take that? It's interesting. And I can't tell you a time throughout history where I've seen anything like this happen. I would always, always use history as the greatest trajectory to, for the future. I would tell you what happened to the last time somebody did this. I would tell you how that worked out for them. Or the last two or three times, i look at all of these data pools. i give you an example for everybody that had ever done it. I don't know that I've seen it before. Nobody calls for a shot that they can't get. Because there's nothing worse in this business than looking weak. If you call for a shot, you had better get it. Pierre has a win over Adesanya. Pierre sneezes, and it even sounds like Izzy came out of his mouth. Izzy will respond. Izzy is planning to do this fight. He's waiting for this fight. He's just waiting for Pierre to get the nod, to get the opportunity. And now you might even have Adesanya say, hold on just a second on that Jared business. You guys get in there. I could see where this plays out in a very different way than some of you might have thought. I thought for all of the call-outs that happened over the weekend, this was the most interesting because it was unique. And people don't call Jared out not just because Jared's a really tough match. They don't call him out because Jared doesn't have anything that they want. Jared's not going to get you a whole bunch of attention. He's not going to get you a bigger paycheck. He's not going to get you more eyeballs. He's going to give you a really hard evening. There's nothing really fun about that proposition. If I got to go in there and and take and give an ass whipping in the tough guy business, I'm at least going to get some attention for it so people don't call out Jared. But all of a sudden, Jared does have something that somebody wants, which is apparently a number one contender's status. So it's a very interesting play, and I don't hate it. I do hate Adesanya versus Kananir. I do. I agree it's the fight that should be made. I get it. But to understand that you have somebody who can monetize more than just the punches and kicks like Adesanya, and then not allowing him to use this very rare skill that he has—I mean, to watch the great skill that is Adesanya be wasted because Robert Whitaker didn't want to meet him halfway in the media—and then to know for sure we're going to have that again because Jared's not going to meet you halfway in the media—it would seem as though this could solve a lot of problems. It could get you one step closer to these former kickboxing foes. Get in there and settle it under our rules. It could make it crystal clear. Look, Kananir, you're the guy. And this is going to add your story. And this is why you're the guy. And maybe now something we can do something with it. But I think that's going to have Adesanya's interest. I think it might have been a brilliant move. Only time will tell. This is only a hindsight issue. I'm just sharing with you guys. Don't miss this. Don't miss what's going on here. Don't miss that the number one contender just got called out, which means he's going to have to put up the number one contender Now coming up next, I'll spend the rest of the show talking about some of the biggest stars in the UFC's lightweight division and what their futures look like. But first, Chandler versus Ferguson. Before that, a quick word about today's presenting sponsor. College basketball fans, join the action on the court during the biggest tournament of the year with DraftKings Sportsbook. Turn your team's victory into your own big win. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. It is that simple. If they win, you win. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still join the College Hoops action with DraftKings Pools. Everyone can play free pools all March long for a shot at a share of over $250,000 in prizes. Simply join a pool and answer questions like who will make it to the next round and who will hit the most three-pointers. Then track your results. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. Use the promo code CHAIL. Bet $5 on any college hoops team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. If they win, you win with promo code CHAIL. This week at DraftKings Sportsbook, 21 and older restrictions apply. See episode notes for details. Michael Chandler and Tony Ferguson, let me ask you guys a question. Who are you cheering for? Now, hold on. Let me stop you. I did not say, who are you predicting? I asked, who are you cheering for? Which could be a very different answer. Take a moment to think about it. And most of you are going to say, I like both guys. Okay. Well, if you like both guys, then you're cheering for Tony. And the reason I submit that for you is I don't know that Chandler can lose anything. Chandler competes very well. All of Chandler's fights are fun and celebrated. I have to remind myself that Chandler lost to Gaethje because it didn't feel like it. It was the greatest fight of the night at the Mecca. It went on to win fight of the year, of which it should. It's one of the great fights ever. I forget that he lost. Chandler's last loss before that is in a world title fight that he was one second away from winning. Remember that fight with Oliveira? Chandler's swarming him. The ref, one more second, the ref would have broken. Oliver comes back. I'm just saying it's hard. Chandler does such a good job and he's so competitive. You can never dismiss him. He, like his career is not even on the brink of coming to an end. Whereas Tony had three very devastating matches. They were very devastating. The, the kind of match that Tony had with Gechi is the kind of match that takes time off of your career. That's just a reality. It's a very tough business. Tony didn't give himself much of a break. Tony follows the the most basic rule of you get bucked off the horse, you get right back on it. So Tony jumps in there. He's in there with Oliveira. He's in there with Benny. If you go look at it on paper, that's not all that big of a deal. He got some great experiences with absolute top guys. Got a 50% chance of winning. Uh, Okay, the other guy got the gold medal tonight. It's not that big of a deal. But if you went and watched the fights a little closer, it didn't look like the same Tony. I can't say anything more than that. I couldn't put my finger just specifically on it if I, wa- if I was forced to point out something from a physical standpoint that happened. It was that Tony gave up top position more in his last two fights than he ever has in his career. That would be one thing that's true. Olivera surprised all of us, Tony included, with his ability to get those double legs, take Tony down, and keep him there. So that'd be one thing that you could look at. Also a skill of which Chandler has, but not a skill that Chandler utilizes all that often. But what I'm talking about, if you like both of these guys, then that means you're cheering for Tony. It could be the end. That's just the reality of this business. That weight class is the toughest division. You go look at Tony's schedule. It is the hardest fights. Not to mention this one, coming off of three losses and you got to go in there with Michael Chandler It's a tall order, but it's the way Tony likes to do it. At the same time, nobody's ever done with this business. Nobody walks away. One day you wake up and you find out this business is done with you. It's one of those realities. So who needs this fight without question? Tony. Not to mention, it's not like some kind of a favorable matchup. One really cool move that Tony did, and he did it for Charles Oliveira, and I've never heard Charles thank Tony. He may have thanked him. I didn't hear it is Oliveira was a really good fighter. He couldn't get on a docket with one of the stars of the division. Tony was a star of the division, got up in the the loft, threw the ladder down behind him so Charles could climb up. So Charles gets done with Tony. Tony's got to go figure out what he's going to do. Charles goes into a world title fight. The rest is history, but he only got... Charles does not have a world title fight, let alone a world championship, if it's not for Tony Ferguson. So make sure when you're telling the story that you tell it accurately. But at the same time, Michael Chandler doesn't have very many flaws. What are you going to do to beat him? There's ways. Tony's going to have to exploit him. Tony's probably going to need to cut him. Tony's going to need to pressure him like he does everybody else. Tony's going to have to stay off his back. But there's not a lot of favorable scenarios here where anybody gets over on Michael Chandler. Even the guys who get over on Michael Chandler, it wasn't favorable going in. That's a tough night out. So what comes out the backside? Where does Chandler go? I'd be very open to that. How much does a win over Tony Ferguson at this point mean? If Tony's able to beat Chandler, great, he's right back in the talks. He kicks the can down the road a little bit, but we're certainly not into contenders matches and title matches, so what's on the line here? What are they fighting for? Well, there's two sides of the coin. The positive side, I don't know. I'm very open for those two to tell us what this is about. But on the tail side of the coin, there is something very negative. It is going to be a very tough story to tell if you're in the uh, shoes of Tony Ferg and you come up short. It just is. That path back is tough for everybody. That path back, once you slide a few times in a row, it's really hard. I'm interested in this match. They agreed to this match. These two wanted to fight. The promotion signed off on it. They're using them on the same night of May 7th that they're going to contest the championship within that weight class between Gaethje and Oliveira. So there's good reason to have a couple of hammers around in case something happens with the main event. You can slide them up. What else is on this line for this fight? Why are these two fighting? Why do they care? Why is this important? Why do they find each other? Why did one call out? I can't even remember the order, but one of them called the other out on social media and the other accepted over social media, right? This fate was made by the fighters, for the fighters. So what's on the line? Tell me. What do you guys want to do with Dustin Poirier? And I'm asking you because I feel as though Dustin asked you. I feel as though an interview that Dustin Poirier did about three weeks ago where he was very open-ended for what's next, what it means for his career, and even within weight divisions, I think he's waiting to hear from you. I think before you want clarity on Dustin Poirier, you need to start coming up with the boundaries. I'll I'll go first. I want him at 155. I really do. I think if he goes to 170, particularly being called out by Colby Covington, he's probably going to have to end up there with Colby. I think to take a 45-pounder, which is Dustin Poirier, move him to 55, see him reach the highest ranks, and then take him from 55, move him to 70, and put him with the baddest dude in the world not named Kamara Usman, I just think it's a lot to ask. Now, if you're going to ask that of somebody, you found the right guy, because he'll go ahead and do it. I just don't like it. I don't. And I also don't think Dustin's best days are behind him. I think he's a little bit clouded right now. It's very tough to have a crystal ball and see the future. So if you're Dustin Poirier and you wake up and you want to be a world champion and you're willing to put in the hard work, do the discipline and climb that mountain one more time, but you can't get back to Oliveira, time out. That's the landscape of today. Outside of Nurmagomedov, they played musical chairs with that championship from the beginning of that championship. All the way back to uh, BJ Penn time, it was pretty quick turnover. 55 is just so hard, it's so competitive. It's just as hard, it's just as competitive. I'm not dismissing Charles Oliveira, I'm speaking to history. Is it more likely that Oliveira keeps that belt for six defenses or that somewhere in the next two years, somebody knocks him off? That's all I'm asking. Nothing rude to Oliveira. But in all fairness, Gaethje, or I apologize, Poirier is judging his career by today's landscape. And it changes so quickly. It could change on May 7th. When Justin Gaethje, who Poirier beat, fights Oliveira, might grab the strap. What does is Islam do? I'm just saying there's a lot of moving parts. And I think that Poirier is very open to certain ideas right now. He said, I don't want to fight Colby. Fine. Don't put that on him. So what? But if you don't want to fight Colby, can we also take that to, let's just keep 170 out of talks for right now. If You're going to go to 70 to fight Diaz or to fight anybody else. Then the Colby talk comes back in. That whole thing's not fair. Let's put him in a box. Let's get Poirier back to 55. Okay? So at 55, who do you want to see him fight? And I think there's a lot of meaningful things. It appears that Poirier himself is going hardest after Nate Diaz right now. Now, if those two are going to fight, now we're changing the conversation that we just did away with because now you're going to send them back up to 170 because that's where Diaz lives. So that's why I'm saying before we pin anything down for Poirier, before we get behind him and back him up and start steering him in a certain direction, we've got to have a little bit of clarity such as the weight class and that's where it gets a little bit of confusing. I want to see him at 55. I think he's a 55 pounder. I also think he's a title threat right now. To get a path back to that belt does involve some movement at the top, but history says that's going to happen sooner rather than later. So that's what I'm suggesting. However, however, I'm speaking over myself here because I do like the idea of Poirier versus Diaz. And there's no reason Diaz pulls down to 55. Go do that fight at 170. I understand. So we're saying, we're saying a couple of things, but I think bigger I just want to draw to your guys' attention that Poirier is waiting to hear from you. He teed you guys up. Some of you misinterpreted an interview that he did. He passed the question back to you all. So make sure you do get some answers. Make sure you start to tell him. Make sure you start tagging him on social media. Start sharing them where you'd like to go. He'll get a sense real fast when he's reading what the masses want. What I want is for Dustin to understand that if he sits down right now at the drawing board and he looks at where he's at and what the rankings are and who he's already facing, how he's going to get back to a world title fight, yes, he's going to find a very hard path that could demotivate him. I just want to remind the great Dustin Pore, things change quickly in this sport but moreover within this division. Volkanovsky Volkanovski just called out Conor McGregor. Did you guys see this? Now, Volkanovski came at it from a very different standpoint. He's saying, I beat all the other featherweights of my generation. He talked about, you know, Max Holloway just by example, but he never got a hold of Conor McGregor because Conor left the division. So Volkanovski just said, I would like to do that. I would like to get everybody that's still here that ever had a belt in my time, and I need Conor. To add to the mantle, he was very honest, Volkanovsky. He talked about the money. The circus that came around it would be fun was a quote. If Volkanovsky was to fight Conor McGregor and they fought at 155 pounds and Volkanovsky beat him, would that count as Volkanovsky beating another former featherweight champion? Tough question if they don't fight at the weight class. I tend to think yes. I think when people tell the story, In the real short term, they'll say no, and within two months, and most definitely within two years, absolutely. I think it would. That isn't the message here, though. Not even close. There is an ongoing conversation of should Conor McGregor be able to return off of a loss, off of a previous loss, off of an injury, and fight for a world championship. There seems to be a very meaningful discussion which got supported when Islam Makhelchev got rebooked against Arush. So the Conor coming in to take on Oliveira and or Gaethje, whoever's left standing, that talk, whether it's real or not, still exists. And many people are pushing back on it, saying Conor should not be able to come off of a loss into a world championship fight that if anybody out of that equation is going to fight for, one, it would be the guy that Conor lost to, who happens to be Dustin Poirier. Well, it doesn't sound like Volkanovsky agrees with you. Volkanovsky, whether he meant to or not, just gave validation as a sitting champion of the world that Conor McGregor can, in fact, come right back into a world title fight. Now, Volkanovsky, of course, was personalizing and talking about him, and he said, I don't think Conor's going to be making featherweight anytime soon. But set that aside, you now have a world champion, whether he intended to or not, that just co-signed the statement that Conor McGregor qualifies for a world title fight upon his return. I mean, one world champion, one sitting and reigning world champion has got to speak for how many of us? I mean, what's his opinion worth? He's got skin in the game. He's sitting there. He's got credibility. He's got accomplishments. What is his opinion worth versus ours? Is it a thousand to one? For every thousand of us that think that doesn't make sense or that's not right, Does he wipe it out and he gets, what, 10,000 to one? Less, 100? I'm just asking. You now have a city reigning world champion who just came out and said Conor McGregor can, as a matter of fact, I'll even do it if he wants to fight me for the belt. He went further to say, even if the belt is not on the line, even if Conor does not come to 145, I'll leave the division to go after him. So if you have a world champion that wants Conor McGregor, what's the difference? The champion at 145 or at 155. What's the difference? You've now got somebody with a seat at the head table who was saying that Conor should qualify based on his laurels, based on the success that he has had before. I don't disagree with that. I don't disagree with that at all. Not to mention the champion said he would even leave the weight class. So Now there's no belt on the line just to get in there for the opportunity to take on Conor McGregor. So we keep, I feel like we, the community, keep sharing our opinion of what lane Connor has to return to, but we're now having people who we also admit have a stronger and more valuable opinion than us saying otherwise. Connor McGregor coming back against Oliveira, by the way, is a very interesting match. I mean, not for nothing. Conor McGregor coming in against Justin Gaethje is a very different match than the Oliveira match, but I don't think any of us are positive who's going to win any of those matchups. I don't think anyone's going to just dismiss Conor and say, oh, Oliveira, kick his ass, or Gaethje, kick his ass. I don't think so. I think you're going to have pretty tight money there. I think you're going to have meaningful conversations. It would seem to me if you're going to have a number one contender who is a very close odds, according to the public opinion that he could have success as opposed to defeat. That sounds like what a number one contender is. How do you want to define it? Whoever's got a number highest on the rankings, fine. Is that what our community does? We don't know who does those rankings. We don't know what goes into that. They're a completely anonymous group, but is that what we hang our hat on? Okay. I'll go along with that if that's what we're doing. But I've heard other people argue it's resume. And then I've heard people try to argue it's not even just resume, it's specifically most recent resume that my five wins in a row beat your three world championships. There's no card game in the world where five wins in a row beats three world championships. There is no body in the world who, if they were given the option, I can give you five wins in a row, or I can make it that you are a three-time world champion. Do Do you see where these aren't even close? But there is a relevance to what you did most recently. I get that too. It would just seem as though we have many different definitions of what a number one contender is, when ultimately the reality is right in front of us. Whoever can get the fight, that's the number one contender. And if he did it with recent wins, if he did it through the mandate of the masses, if he did it with politicking through the office, if he gets the fight, he's the number one contender. I think this strengthens Connor's position. I think the only reason you want to make Connor right into a title fight which Gaethje wants, which Oliver has outspokenly said that he wants, which Conor McGregor has dangled that he ultimately does want. Conor jumps around just a little bit, Poirier and Diaz, I mean, he spreads it around just a little bit, but Conor's been very consistent that whatever he does is to get him back to the belt that he sees as his. How do you tell me a guy like that? How do you tell me a guy like Conor McGregor? How do you tell me a guy that two champions in two different divisions are doing interviews and speaking about that they want to contest with? How do you tell me that that guy isn't within the qualification standards of a number one contender? Henry Cejudo, part of his Twitter beef with Conor McGregor. Henry... Weighed in on the fact that Connor has, or Henry alleged Connor has nothing but yes men around him. There was some kind of a training footage. I thought Connor looked pretty good in it. Henry thought something else had to do with Connor's hands being down, had to do with distance. Henry, who's now a coach, broke that down very quickly on social media and put it out. But one thing that he he offered, aside from some corrections technically to McGregor, is he just said, you're surrounded by too many yes-men. That's the part that I, I pulled out because that can turn into a very real thing. Now, I've never thought that for Connor. One of the things I appreciate the most about Conor McGregor is that he's at the same gym with the same teammates and the same coaches now as he had back when he was on the dole and hadn't even broken to television yet. Those same people that got him to where he wanted to be He kept around to keep him at where he wants to be. Now, I just personally like that. I like that sign of loyalty. I see guys have success with one program and then quickly leave it. Think they've outgrown it. Think, okay, I'm arrived and I need somebody else. Somebody else has the answers. Now the answers are in Canada. Or now the answers are in Coconut Creek. Or now the answers are in San Jose. I see it all the time and go, well, wait a second. These are the guys that got you here. These are the guys that had a vision that put in the hard work. Stay with your team. Nothing broke up Team Quest more. The great and coveted Team Quest, nothing destroyed us more than the Ultimate Fighter. We had such incredible opportunities. Randy Couture was the first ever coach. We were in from day one. Every season, we're getting a bunch of teammates on, changing their lives, changing their experiences, but they never came back. They met somebody out there. Somebody got a hold of them. Hey, you're bigger than this now. Hey, here's what you need. You need a camp that's focused around you. you, whatever it is. I mean, they're just body language readers. I've seen these guys operate. They throw three, four ideas out. They see which one you react to. And then they go down that for three, four more ideas. They sign you. They take you away. Your career ends within three fights and you're out of the business. It's very common. And it's not very often that you could argue it the other way. And boxing is much more guilty than MMA. Boxers will go have 20, 30 fights against absolute bums. Once you have 30, 25 to 30 good fights against bums, you now qualify to take on one other skilled guy. You take on that guy and all of a sudden you throw the baby out with the bash water. Boxers never realize all of these other fights were guys that sucked, which is why we both made 300 bucks a night and we were doing it down at the YMCA versus this one that's shown on HBO. They never, they don't get the difference there. But as soon as they change, as soon as they start pointing fingers and blaming people, their career unravels very fast. And there's not a whole lot of exceptions to that. Whereas the guy that's with his same coach, that's the coach he met on day one when he was nine years old and watched the gym, that's the ones that go out and have the long careers. Now they know each other. They know everything. Not just how do you set up your jab, how do you follow through with your cross, How do you do during morning workouts? How do you do in evening? How much sleep do you need? What weight class is your best? There's just other things that these coaches that have this personal relationship will know. One of the hardest things you can do in life is get to where you wanted to be and still be willing to do all the things that got you to that point. Nobody's wrong here. It's human nature. It's extremely difficult to sacrifice every day to get somewhere. Once you're there, continue to sacrifice to stay there. It's easier to just fall and then talk about the one time that you made it. And you will be allotted for that. You will do a great job, but it's a very different career. If you want to have a long and side-out career, you want to be the next Tom Brady, somebody who shows an ability to extend their career, to be able to continue to do as an adult what they were able to do as kids. It's an awesome thing. It's very rare. But there's rules to it. There's ways that you've got to do it. And while I talk to you about there's very few exceptions, there are exceptions amongst us right now. Colby Covington left the ATT. He's as good or better as he ever was. Kamara Usman started splitting time between Colorado and Stanford MMA. He's as good as he ever was, if not better. Now, there's another test that's out there, and it's with Amanda Nunes. The queen herself has left the training facility that made her a simultaneous double world champion. She's going to do her own thing. And to my understanding, she owns the gym. So now anybody that comes in there, anybody that's in charge of her workouts, she is paying. So it's very tough who's in charge. All the greats have a coach. Tiger has a coach. Serena has a coach. Simone has a coach. All the greats have a coach. Mayweather, and Jordan, they've all got a coach. They all have somebody that they listen to, somebody for X amount of time each day that's in charge. Because if that coach doesn't have your respect where he's the boss and what he says goes, he can't push you. He can't do it. It's a tough spot. It's a unique position. Humbling yourself and making sure that you stay in that zone instead of getting out of it and thinking, I've done enough of it. That's behind me and everybody else has to catch up. It unravels fast really fast. If a guy's used to get eight workouts a week and he shaves that down and now he's getting six, that's a lot of workouts. That's a lot of time on the mat. It is unraveling quickly. You will hear people say, train smarter, not harder. Anybody that you say that, that's the beginning of the end. I'm training smarter, not harder is the first word spoken by everybody whose career is at the end. I don't know if Conor's got yes-men around him. I know Coach Kavanaugh sure as hell isn't. I hear great things about Coach Roddy. I've never met him, but I, I don't know that that's true. I also don't know that Henry was being literal. I think perhaps I'm picking up on some fun comment and then Henry's having back and forth with Notorious. But I did want to pull that one thing out because Henry does know what he's looking at. And when Henry starts talking about distance and range, nobody understands distance and range better than Cejudo. That for sure is his number one attribute, his number one claim to fame. It was not wrestling as well. Henry could be in a wrestling match and he'd know whether you were in range for him to jump on your head or if he could jump on your ankle. He would measure those things. So there's something that Henry's seen, but I'm not certain Connor's guilty. I'm not sure Connor is around yes men. And I've always appreciated that Connor stayed loyal to those who helped to get him to where he wanted to be. But this is playing out and we will assess and we will judge and we will do what I told you so or, oh my gosh, I was wrong, as it pertains to Amanda when she finally gets in there again with Juliana. To close out today's show, a UFC lightweight who will have all eyes on him this Saturday night got himself into a little bit of trouble yesterday, and I want to weigh in on it. All right, guys, story's just coming in. I'm going to get you 99% of the way there, and don't think that you need to leave me corrections down below. This is a he said, she said, secondhand account, but it goes something like this. Fights going on in London this weekend. Paddy the Baddies on the card the UFC has a room set up. You go to that room to do all of your checking in, everything from getting on a scale and just kind of showing what your check weight is to there's some posters that you will sign, whatever paperwork, anything overlooked by a commission. You kind of go right down a line. It's going to take you about 45 minutes. Everybody has to do it. It's called processing. So Patty goes to the processing room, being part of this card. He sees somebody who he has heat with. Ryan, tell me the name again. It's hard to pronounce, guys. Leaf. I'm not hearing Ryan here. It's a hard name to pronounce. I, I don't come to you with condescension. It reminded me of, of uh, Atir Latifi. It's not. But the guy's a Greco-Roman wrestler. I looked the guy up. Guy happens to be 11-0. Pretty tough guy. He's in the room with his team. He's got six guys with him. Patty is in the room by himself. So the story goes. Patty and this guy had some kind of a back and forth. They had some kind of heat. When Patty sees him, Patty picks up a hand sanitizer bottle and hurls it at the guy. He hits him right in the head. Now, it's the guy plus six, and it's Patty there by himself. The guy's team turned out to be solid guys, which did not turn it into a six or seven on one against Patty. They actually held their guy back and said, leave that guy alone. Either way, they have both gone to social media to claim victory. Patty, in the sense of it was six against one, I stood my ground and none of you did anything. Okay. Sounds accurate. The other guy saying, you're lucky my team was there. I would have torn your head off. Also sounds accurate. Now, what do you do? Did these two just lock down a fight with one another for the future? Or Did these two just make that fight unbookable? It's a very important point that you understand this. We cannot have tomfoolery happening outside the octagon. It cannot happen. You cannot be in dust-ups in the street. You cannot be in the hallways, in the hotels, in the processing room. Can't happen. Very bad look, not to mention it's illegal. So a lot of guys will try to do this for promotion, but let me just give you an example, which was George Masvidal, Leon Edwards. I admit for you guys, it is compelling to see two fighters fighting, not in the cage. Compelling is not meant to be a positive word. That's just the word assigned per definition to what that is. You want to watch it and you do watch it and you rewatch it and there's something there and there's something special and it's organic and it's real. It's all the things that you need for masterful marketing, but George Masvidal and Leon Edwards never fought. And the incident of three piece in a soda is going on three years ago. The reason that they did not fight, it's very important that you understand this. If the UFC would have taken that footage and gone and made that fight, they would have a massive fight on their hands. Anything at that time that George Maslow had done would have been small in comparison. And the same goes for Leon. Anything that Leon had done up till that moment would be small in comparison. Why didn't the UFC make it? Well, they didn't want to start that. They did not want to encourage anybody to behave like a buffoon as long as you're in shot of a camera or to have your friend pull out an iPhone while you go. They just didn't want to encourage that. They stopped it dead by having this fight that everybody did want to see with two guys within the same division, with an altercation that was a little bit more explainable than the crime uh, type that I spoke about, so we're not going to do it. It was a very mature and a very responsible and probably a fairly hard decision for the UFC to come to, but they came to the right one. And as time goes on, you could get those two back in there. The stories have changed and their paths could cross and you could have that moment. But that's very different than using that moment as you're jumping off and moving forward. It's very different if you operate in reverse. And a lot of this came from Connor and Khabib. When Connor broke into the Barclay Center and took the hand truck and attacked the bus, when he had this whole thing with Khabib, then him and Khabib get in there and it ends up being the biggest pay-per-view that mixed martial arts has ever done. You could see where lights are going to go on in some fighter's head oh, this is all I need to do. I need to behave like a fool. And even if it means handcuffs, there'll be something to the greater good down the road, which is wrong. And the organization is letting you know that it's wrong. So if any of you did find it compelling or you found it entertaining, or if I just taught you something new and now you really want to see Patty the Batty take on this gentleman, 11-0 Swedish wrestler, Greco-Roman wrestler rather, if you want to see that, I'm not sure that you aren't all but guaranteed. That's the fight you're not going to see. Only time is going to tell. That's the story for now. And I'm very, very accurate. I told you I'd get you 99% there. I did. What happens next between these two? How can you be trusted in the future? You know, you have your heat and you have your back and forth, but you got to follow a code, which is we're all so civil. We see each other. We pass, we pass by. We wait till the agreed upon time, which is in the octagon. If all of your actions and your social media and the throwing of the bottle doesn't get you to the octagon, then something within your formula you did wrong, and we just go through life separate ways. That's the deal, and that's the code. But when you get somebody that picks up a foreign object and breaks the code, thinking that somehow it's okay, and they've got the the moral superior hand because they were outnumbered six to one, you end up in a bit of a mess. What do you do with that guy? Or is that just the guy that Patty's going to be moving forward? He's just going to be antagonizing, and he's going to be, I, I don't know. It's not a great look. Patty has been welcomed into this community with very open arms. You, the fans, have been very supportive. The UFC booking him in only his second or third outing, and they're taking him to his own country. I mean, there's a, there's a lot going on to this. To be able to trust that a guy can behave while processing in the offices of their employer What do you do? All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening and for continuing to leave reviews like the one where Samuel says Chael is like my ex-wife. I keep coming back for more. Not sure if I condone that, Sam, but thank you for the review. And thanks to all of you. I'll be back on Friday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen and you are welcome.